You are listening to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast, where we talk real life, answer hard questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today, we are talking with Pastor Jeff Mose. Welcome or welcome back to the Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast. Um, I am Lydia Miller here with my dad, Pastor Jeff, to hopefully answer uh, some big questions for you about faith. Um, We most recently have been uh, just kind of walking through, uh, really it's a class that we teach on theology, but we're kind of going through topic by topic and hopefully answering questions for you that maybe you have had um, or maybe questions you've been asked by people that you haven't really been sure how to answer. Um, and today, we thought we'd do a softball for you. We're just going to do the overall topic of God, which wow. I feel like you know a lot about. So uh, we're just going to talk about uh, God, who God is, the existence of God. How can we be sure that God exists um, and what makes really the God of Christianity different? So let's start with an easy one. How do we know that God exists. You think that's easy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, here, here's the interesting thing about this question. First of all, the Bible never argues the existence of God, which I always think is fascinating. The Bible just starts with the idea that God is. In the beginning, God. So, so there was never any argument with regards to that. But here's what most scholars have done with this, is they've given four sort of arguments, if they will. They've given them titles and names, and I do think they're helpful. Uh, The first would be sort of this cosmological argument, this idea that because something in this world exists, there must be something behind it. Something started it. Something got it going. Uh, Romans 1 talks about it. You know, these qualities of God we see in nature and beauty and creation around us. So the fact that there is something, there's this idea of there's got to be something behind it. Uh, The second argument they usually use is what we call the theological argument, this idea of the complexity of nature. Psalm 19 talks about it, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. This idea that when you look at nature and gravity and complexity, you look at the human body, you look at the eye, for instance, you recognize there must be someone behind it. The old illustration has often been given if you're walking in a forest and you find a watch laying there, you recognize it didn't come together as a watch by itself. Obviously, there's a designer, there's a maker of it. So when you look at creation, when you look at the beauty of it around you, recognize there's got to be something behind it. Uh, The third argument they usually use is what they would call the conscience of man. There's a sense in which uh, all throughout cultures around this world, no matter where you live, there are certain things that are seen as wrong. Stealing in every culture is seen as wrong. Lying in every culture is seen as wrong. Sometimes we'd refer to this in theology as kind of the idea of the common grace of God, that this world is not as bad as it could be because God, in terms of his presence and this common grace of God, is still at work to this day. And then the last one is simply this idea of the experience of mankind, that that we've experienced God. We've gotten comfort in times when we've gone through mourning. There's been guidance and direction in our lives. There's been answered prayer. So uh, again, because we don't often want to use scripture, uh, people who um, you know, don't know God would say, well, listen, you, you just say, go see the Bible. So, so if we want to take some things outside of scripture with regards to the existence of God, I think those four things are very helpful. I think anybody 
when they stand in the presence of a newborn baby. I think when they stand in the presence of uh, the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or see the Swiss Alps, you've got to recognize the beauty of creation that there is a God behind it. There is order, symmetry, beauty to it that I think screams of a designer and a maker. I had a professor um, one time just talk about that idea of not believing um, in God. And he really encouraged people, take that thought all the way through, because he said, for me, it's a bigger leap to believe that all of this came from absolutely nothing than it is to believe that there could be someone out there who created it. Agreed. Yeah. The whole idea, the Big Bang Theory, that it just uh, it takes a lot more faith to believe mm-hmm. in that than mm-hmm. it does to believe in the existence of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even just like what they're discovering, just the galaxies and just the grandeur of the universe. It's... I studied the human eye one time and I did a little bit of a sermon on it. But to, to, to understand how the human eye works and our ability to see, mm-hmm. to differentiate lines, color, all of those kinds of things, uh, to, to understand a designer is behind hmm. that is fascinating. So what would you say to someone who would kind of put themselves in that camp of they're struggling to believe that God exists. What, where should they start? Or it, maybe you yeah. have a friend who struggles. Is there any encouragement or things that you could point them to? Yeah, I, I would say, and, and I've certainly had this discussion with people before, I think the first thing is this. You've got to continue to pursue it. So mm-hmm. often I think people lay it down, give it up, move on. I think there's a sense in which you've always got to be pursuing God. So, you know, Scripture talks about the fact that Jeremiah said, listen, you know, when you seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So I think there's got to be a heart desire uh, to get to know God. And I think we've got to pursue after that. I'll often say to people too, listen, why don't you do this for the next week or month or whatever? Just pray every day, God, if you are real, make yourself known to me. Mm -hmm. Because there is one of the things I think people have to understand is God desires to reveal himself or make himself known to people. And I can't think of a prayer he would rather answer mm-hmm. than, hey, if you're real, make yourself known to me. Mm-hmm. And then I think you've got to be real soft and open uh, to what God might do. Because I think he's going to show up and we've got to be ready for it. Remember that story uh, of the guy who was in the middle of the flood and he was sitting on top of his house and a boat came by and a plane came by and a helicopter came by and he all the time says, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. He gets to heaven and... <laughs> and he says to God, where were you? Didn't you rest me? He goes, listen, I sent a boat, I sent a plane, I sent a hell. So I think we've got to be open to how God works in this world and how he moves. But I, I think he would desire to answer mm-hmm. that prayer. And I think this steadfast desire to seek him and to pray, God, make yourself known to me. I can't imagine that God wouldn't show up if our eyes and our heart is open to that. Mm-hmm. And don't you think sometimes that's the work of the evil one of just busying on our mind, busying our minds so that we don't pursue that fact, because I do feel like it becomes incredibly obvious when you pursue uh, where this world came from and what has been orchestrated, but we just don't often pursue Very the much idea. So. When you said that, the scripture that comes to mind is, remember in, I think it's in Second Corinthians where he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds mm-hmm. of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's exactly what has mm-hmm. happened. He's mm-hmm. blinded the evil one, the minds of unbelievers to not have the ability mm-hmm. to see God. Mm-hmm. So as we consider this huge, you know, the grand idea of God, obviously in Christianity, 
Jesus is what sets us apart from other religions in terms of we believe that he's the Messiah, we believe that he died for our sins, rose again, all those things. So if you take Jesus out of the equation, which feels weird to even say, but if you take Jesus out of the equation, are we all worshiping the same Mm -hmm. God? Yeah, I know this is incredibly controversial, and I always try to answer this question because it can get you into some serious debate. But I try to answer the question from this perspective, more of a positive perspective. As I always say to people, listen, if they believe in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then we believe in the same God. Then we all worship the same God. But I think it's good at points in times to look at it not from a Christian perspective, but from another religion perspective. Mm -hmm. So here's what Buddhism says with regards to God. Buddhism would say, hey, listen, there is no such thing as somebody personified in a God. There's good and evil in this world, Hmm. but they've never personified themselves in a God. Mm -hmm. So that's their opinion. Uh, You take a look at uh, Hinduism. Hinduism say, listen, uh, God is in everything. Uh, There's many gods in this world. God is in a table. God is in a chair. You can become a God. Hmm. If you take a look at Islam, for instance, they would say, listen, Allah And Allah alone is God. In fact, they're incredibly militant about it. They'd say Jehovah, the God of the Jews of the Old Testament, is not their God. They would certainly say the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not their God. And and they're incredibly militant about it. Even Jews, for the most part, would hold to an Old Testament God. They're monotheistic in nature, meaning they hold to one God, they hold to Jehovah, But they would not say that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I always try to argue it from that perspective. I'm not saying, hey, listen, we don't worship the same Mm -hmm. God. I'm saying, listen, you ask Buddhists, you ask Islam, you ask uh, Hindus, you ask even Jews. They would not agree that we worship a triune God, Mm -hmm. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I always try to take it from that angle Mm -hmm. saying, uh, I don't think... They would say we do. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they right. don't. I'm, I'm saying they would say we don't. We don't. So you reference the Trinity. Um, it's something we talk, obviously, in church about a lot. But interestingly enough, it's not ever mentioned in the Bible. I mean, the phrase, the yeah. Trinity, we've kind of coined to that. Um, but what is that if someone's hearing that maybe for the first time or isn't super familiar with it? Yeah. That's, that's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, because you brought the point up. If you think about it for a moment, if you're going to do a word search in the Bible for the word Trinity, I'll tell you right now, you'll never find it. <laughs> It, it actually, the word is never used. Now, it's inferred to incredibly. The Trinity simply means this. We worship one God, but he is in three distinct persons. Mm-hmm. So you remember Deuteronomy 6.4. This is the Shema. So every good Jewish boy or girl, uh, every morning they would say the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. Now, to us, that seems rather obvious. But in that day and age, in a polytheistic culture mm-hmm. where everybody would make up their own God, they're saying, listen, the only people that worship one God at that point in time were the Jews. So that's a big deal. We want to remind ourselves there's one God. But he has three distinct roles. Mm-hmm. He plays the Father, he plays the Son, he plays the Holy Spirit, and he does it in different fashions. So again, if you're looking for places to find biblical support for that, I would certainly go to creation, Genesis chapter 1. He said, let us make man in our own image, this idea of a plurality. Uh, in Genesis 6, when it talks about the Tower of Babel, he says, let's us confuse their language, this plurality. In Isaiah 6, he later would say, and whom shall I send and who will go for us? There is this plurality. 
You see it in the baptism of Jesus, remember, you hear the voice of God, there's the Son, and then the Spirit of God descends like a dove. You see it in the announcement to Mary. I think the best place is actually in John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I will ask of the Father that he will send the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So you see the three persons of the Trinity there. Uh, and again, I would just remind you that even though there is one God, they have this economy of roles. They, mm -hmm. they play different distinctions. Um, it's not one plus one plus one, that would equal three mm -hmm. gods, but it's one times one times one still equals one. We used to say it this way, if you want a kind of a catchy phrase, we used to say the Father, with regards to salvation, mm -hmm. the Father thought it, the Son bought it, and the Spirit brought it. So those are their different mm -hmm. roles. So. Uh, the mind behind salvation and us coming into the very family of God comes from God the Father. Mm -hmm. What was needed for salvation in light of the Old Testament system and the need for an ultimate sacrificial lamb was bought by the Son. And then, and we'll talk about this, but the work of the Holy Spirit is this idea that He is the one who brings it to us. He does the work of regeneration to sort of renew and mm -hmm. call us and literally draw us to the need for salvation. So they each have a distinct role in there, but there is still hmm. one, one God. I think it's interesting too, just based on what we see in scripture, I know I've done this, where you almost see God as the strict parent, Jesus as the parent that's gonna come and comfort you and go talk to the strict parent on your behalf, but recognizing that the characteristics of Jesus are the same characteristics that are true of God. It's not one versus the other and one brings you to grace with the other. Absolutely. We've got to remind ourselves of that, that all three persons of the Trinity were there when the world was called into existence, mm -hmm. when God created mankind, when Jesus made his way to the cross of Calvary, when he comes again, mm -hmm. all three persons of the mm -hmm. Trinity in one God are going to be found. Yeah. I think for seekers, the one that is and for believers, most difficult to wrap your head around, hard to understand, most common misconceptions with is that of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to do a deep dive into the Holy Spirit, what we believe about it, um, and what it means uh, for you in your life. So make sure you join us next week as we talk about the Holy Spirit. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org or download the Sunnybrook Church app. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.